welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Yesterday is a new national holiday. And I call that holiday the way I put it in my phone one year ago when we started the holiday, was the national holiday for life. One year and one day ago, that's when Roe v. Wade fell into the pits of hell where it belonged. And as of right now, about 30, not quite that many, states of the 50 United States have passed legislation to some extent protecting life. The sad part is that that means 20 states have either done, well, no, I don't think any of them have done nothing. 20 states have probably advanced the death culture that society has embraced for, for a long time, for obviously at least 50 years. Roe v. Wade was exactly 50 years old when it died, which was more than 50 years too long. But the fact that it existed for 50 years, A, advanced the death culture in our society, but it was also birthed by people's embracing of a death culture. And I have placed in my phone a repeating event every year. I've made my own holiday in my own phone. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Most of you use digital calendars. Put it in your phone. Yesterday, the 24th, repeating event, national holiday for life, so you can celebrate. I will try to be diligent about celebrating here as a church because we are a pro-life church. And when I, <laughs> when I say pro-life, please understand that don't mean just the unborn. This activity that we just did at the altar is pro-life. Health is life. Amen. We're pro-life in every way there's life. And I think that there is, I, I have some concerns because it seems like a bunch of the church was like, woohoo, Roe v. Wade's done. All right, what are we going to do now besides watch TV? And they kind of just like thought, that's it, like the war's over, we won. And I told, I know you guys don't believe that. I've told you guys for years that Roe v. Wade is literally the first, if that ever, if that falls, you know, I've obviously I said that a long time ago, if it ever falls, that that's the first day of the war, not the last day of the war. That's when the real battle starts. Because we have trained 
three generations, 50 years is approximately three generations. We have trained three generations to kill. You don't just root that out because the Supreme Court said, hey, sorry, bad law. It, it doesn't go away. You're three generations in, which is basically pretty much everybody that's living in America right now. They're three generations into believing in a death culture. And it has many manifestations. And this message is preemptive into a larger series that we are going to get into that are going to cover some of the foundational principles, doctrines, theology. I'm still working on some of the language for that series that I'm going to go through and establish for everyone here the core belief systems that should be a part of a New Testament believer. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fairly extensive. I'm going to go into some of the things that were blatantly declared in the New Testament, sound doctrines that the writers of the epistles in the New Testament legitimately declared, like, you got to get this stuff figured out. Like, this is grassroots kindergarten stuff. you got to have that. And I honestly believe that there's a lot of people in here that don't. And that's my fault. I'm not blaming you. That's my fault. And so I'm, I'm going to fix it. If I make a problem, I fix it. Anybody was there last night at Doc Ryan's range? I stood up in front of the whole group, 100 and whatever people, and I apologized to them because I had made a mistake. I repented to the whole group. And I had tons of people come up and were like, I have never heard a preacher apologize. That's the problem. Amen. That's the problem. If you follow some preacher on YouTube, never mind, I'm not going there. This is going to cover some of those core uh, New Testament doctrines that were either eluded to or developed by the writers of the epistles and the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also going to go into background. I'm going to get into things like Deuteronomy 32 worldview. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tread where angels dare not tread and talk to you about Genesis chapter 6 where Divine beings are making babies with human women and what in the world is that all about? I'm, I'm going to go there. <laughs> I know. Pray for me. And another place that we're going to go is where we're starting today. So I'm going to do this in a preemptive way. We're not ready to start that series yet. But when we go, get into that series, we're going to back insert this into that. And I'm going to talk probably pretty fast. And there's going to be a lot of stuff going on this morning with what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to drop tons of statements and not develop them because I believe that over time we'll be able to do a little bit more development of some of the things that I'm going to say. In addition to that, I have at least 10 copies of notes back there that are going to allude to all of these principles that I'm going to outline that you will have an opportunity to at least meditate on and you have the same spirit of God that I do. So anything that God's ever told me, it's not personal to me. It's yours. So we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 6. And you've probably never had a preacher do a series that included talking about what God hates. <laughs> it's because we're 
We're a very fragile group of people in today's modern progressive Christianity. We can't deal with the hard truths. We can't have anybody like Stacy, not to reference that too often, but Stacy stands up here and she says, I did something wrong and I got chewed out. And I'll tell you it was me. <laughs> you know how many people will never, God word, never stay in a church that the preacher chews them out. There's people sitting here now that if I said something wrong to you, you'd, I'm a stupid preacher. Nobody asked you. A amen. <laughs> All the people that agree with me, amen. Don't say nothing to me. We've developed that. That is the exact opposite, the exact opposite of the culture that Jesus built. He went throughout the whole of Judea, Jerusalem, teaching people, telling people what was wrong to make it right. 2,000 years ago, the culture was, if there's something wrong in my life, please tell me how to make it right. Today's culture is, I'm all right, and if you dare say something to me, you're wrong. So you're not going to likely ever have anybody do a section of a series that deals with what God hates, because that's not where we're going. We want to have feel-good messages. We want, to, we want to walk away from church, skipping down the sidewalk. Yay, I'm the prettiest and the most awesome, and God loves me the bestest. Nope, God loves you, and he doesn't love everything you do. <laughs> I, guess, I guess five or six amens was better than I anticipated on that. God is pleased in you. He is pleased in you because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He is pleased in you. The part that he did in you, he is well pleased with. And he's not always pleased with you. And if we don't get that balance, if you cannot figure that out, you will get in one ditch or the other. You'll be over here in spiritual narcissism, thinking you're the only one, and you'll be justifying yourself even when people are trying to tell you that things are wrong. And you'll get deeper and deeper. And I've met these people. These are some of the most dangerous people in the body of Christ. Because they are God. And nobody can tell them what to do because, but God, which makes them God because they only hear from God whatever they want to hear, because if somebody tells them anything besides what they believe, what they think, including God, they just reject it. Uh-uh, God, you're wrong. And then you got the other side, which is God is never pleased with me. God hates me. I'm, I'm a wart on the backside of the body of Christ. I'm only going to get into heaven by the hair on my chinny chin chin and, and I, every time God thinks about me he's just like right on the verge of striking me with lightning and, and they, have, they have no confidence, they have no intimacy, they have no relationship with God over here and this person is God. So obviously they don't have a relationship with God and right here's where God wants us. 
So in this upcoming series, we're gonna delve into these things, and so I'm actually just gonna pick something out of this list of seven things that God hates and or is an abomination. And we'll, we'll unpack the difference between hate and abomination when we get to the series. But I'm just going to highlight something because we're going to move into our conversation about defending life. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, these are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. God doesn't throw around the word abomination. He, he's not hunting adjectives to make him sound more uh, like, this is really important. God don't talk like that. If it comes out of his mouth, the universe is affected by it forever. So he doesn't say, hey, you know, yesterday I was kind of joking, but today, like this is for realsies. So the seven things are haughty eyes. Notice the first thing on the, list has to do with pride. Lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I, I do want to say, and we'll cover this later on in depth, I do want to say that the seventh thing on the list, which turned it from a list of things that God hates to a list of things that are an abomination, is the one that stows discord among brothers. And there's folks in this room that are guilty of it. And I pray, I pray you sort it. I pray you sort it because God's gonna be okay with us. That's how much God hates that. He calls it an abomination. And there are some people that think it's their job is to go around in a church and cause discord. Well, you know what they said, you know what they did. You know what I don't like about such and such? No, I don't know, I don't care. <laughs> you need to get over it, because this is the way it is. If you don't like how something is at Beloved Church, let me tell you what to do. Stop. Pray. Pray. Yep, quiet in here. Well, praying don't do nothing. That's the point. You think you talking bad about something going on here is going to fix it. Aren't you just the cutest little God ever? Pray. If it doesn't change there's a couple options that you need to consider. One, maybe you're wrong. I know that's not really an option. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Two, I don't hear from God. Because if you're praying about it, and if I hear from God, then he and I are going to have a conversation. So option two is, I don't hear from God. Which means everybody in here is damned. You sit in here for an hour every week listening to me, dear Jesus. <laughs> Three, 
you are of the opinion that you're right. I am of the opinion that I hear from God and we need to be okay with agreeing to disagree. And whether that looks like you finding a church that's gonna be agreeable to you, and I do know a lot of those people, they haven't found that church yet, and they're about 30, 40 years into searching. I'm not saying that's you. I realize that beloved church is not everybody's cup of tea. I am shocked sometimes that I am Kay's cup of tea, let alone a larger group of people. I'm, I'm okay with us not being everybody's cup of tea. There's lots of flavors of tea and we don't have to fill everybody's boots. I'm okay with that. If you do leave, you better leave right. Because if you leave with a cancer, all you're gonna do is get other people filled with cancer. I'm okay with you leave. I can tell you this, in 11 years of being beloved church, I can name two people, two, that have ever left right. And I also can tell you, most of these people that I know, if I know anything about their current status, ain't none of them, zero, zero. None of them are better. Some of them are stagnant, they didn't, they didn't get worse, but ain't none of them better. Some of them are dead. So please don't do that. Do not sow discord among the brethren. And just so you know, your spouse is a brethren. Oh boy. Because we think like we get a pass on that one. Well, I'm not going to talk to anybody else at Beloved Church, but wait till I get Kay to the house. Woo! She's going to get an earful of my opinion of Bob, that guy. Yeah, I know. We talk about you all the time. It's terrible. She is his sister. So if I talk to Bob's sister about Bob, even though she's my bride, I don't get a pass from God. Well, I guess it's okay for you to curse Bob with your bride because that don't count. Those are like freebie words. A -a -a Amen? I'm sorry, is that a principle that we weren't ready for? Let's move back up. We'll go to the, one of the easiest ones on the list. Hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 17. Everybody agrees here. We're, we're going to start in the easy, easiest one. Because the other ones, those are like, Ugh. back up, preacher. We'll do this one. Uh, nobody likes a murderer, right? So everybody's like, all right, we're, we're in unity on this one. The rest of it, well, is a, it might even be next year. We might have to build up to the point where we can talk about some of these other hard places. But hands that shed innocent blood, that's almost universal across the world, across all cultures, across all societies, across all eras, that it's wrong to kill innocent people. You, if you would have asked a Nazi soldier in 1944, if it's wrong, to kill innocent people, he would have said yes. They would have. 
Those Nazi soldiers had to go to bed every night with as clear of conscience as they could possibly get to as a soldier. Now, they were lied to. They were propagandized. They were manipulated, deceived. You can do whatever you want to do. But they believed that what they were doing was right. Allied forces were evil. Da-da-da-da, stuffing things, and I'm not getting into all that, but I'm saying they went to bed every night to the best of their ability with a clear conscience, believing that they were doing the right thing for the planet. There's a, there's a doctor right now somewhere in America that is scrubbing up to put on his gloves, a surgeon, so that he can go into the operating room and cut the healthy breasts off of a 12-year-old girl. Believing every second of his scrubbing that he is doing the right thing, that a transgendered girl is better than a suicided girl. Because that's what he's been taught. And he will go to bed tonight with a clear conscience after mutilating a young lady. And I, and I know we sit here and we're like, no, there's no way. I'm telling you, I talk to these people. I have a, I have a worldview that, that might be a little wider than some people. There, there are people that literally believe they have been taught wrong. They have been taught evil. My mom ministered to a young lady one time. This, this gal was in... My mom used to minister to, to drug addicts, prostitutes, and homosexuals, and, and actually the mayor of the city of Rockford like got her, this is way back when politicians weren't as evil, and asked her to, to do some of these ministries to, to care for these down and outers that nobody cared about. And one of these people that came out of prostitution that my wife, or my wife, my mom was ministering to had three kids. So she was a prostitute by night and mom by day. And she got saved, radically saved. And so mom started discipling her. So she'd sit at mom's kitchen table and they'd talk about life and stuff and things. And every once in a while, mom would go over to her place and they'd do it. And she was over at this gal's place. And when she got there, the gal's like, hold on, I gotta you know, finish up. And so mom sat at the table and and there was some really weird stuff that was happening that morning. And what it was, was the mother was doing very immoral things with her children. I'm gonna just leave it to your imagination. Because that's how her father taught her to love her children. So she was loving her children every day. We're all shaking our heads. You know why you're shaking your head? Because you were taught different. If you were that lady, you would do anything it took to love your children. And if that's what love is, that's what you do. The folks that are shedding innocent blood on our planet 
believe they have a moral high ground and you're the problem. And if you think you're gonna walk up to them and say, God says you're a murderer and here's my big spiritual book, wham, and you're gonna change their opinion, you are ignorant because they will out-argue nearly everyone in this room. They do it every single day in the universities. You send your good little Christian kid off to the university, they're pro-life, they're pro-Jesus, they're pro-moral, and they come out the other side 18 months later as a woke sycophant, a completely created entity of a professor or two who's better at the argument than you are, super spiritual Christian, because we think, God says, is the end of all arguments. That's only the end of arguments for people who love God, fear God, and know his word, which, by the way, isn't even a majority of this room. You know how many times I've said to people in beloved church, you know, God says, and they're like, I don't care what the Bible says. Well, we're done. See you at church. We have got to be better at establishing a rational, logical viewpoint of how to get people to understand shedding innocent blood includes many of the things that it currently disincludes. For example, the unborn. I'm gonna hopefully give you the assets this morning that you can have a logical, rational way of dealing with people's ideology, their false teaching, their bad doctrine, because it's, it's religion, that you can help rescue them out of the lies that are enslaving them. Lies bind and lies blind. The light makes you free and the light makes you see. Matthew 19, Jesus said, why do you ask me, verse 17, about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus establishing that God is good and the way that God expresses his goodness, his way of good, is the word. It's kind of subtle, but if you really look at what Jesus said, he said there's only one that's good that's God. God's the only one that's good. And the way that you're going to know what that goodness looks like is his commands, his word. So if you want to be good, you know how many times I've walked up on someone and said, hey, you know, I'd like to pray for you. You know, I see you got a limp. Or the other day, Kay and I were out for a walk and our neighbor was driving around and, and I like jumped in front of his truck and he's, and I'm like, dude, I just, I have to tell you some, I prophesied to him. And I'm like, I would love to pray for you. He's like, I'm good. I'm like, is there anything that the creator of the universe could do for you? I want to pray for you. I'm good. When you say you're good, I, and I said this to him. I said, you know, I live across the street. There's a few things that might not be good. He's like, I ah, know, I'm working on them. I'm good. 
All right. I said, when you drive away, I'm going to pray for you anyway. He's like, that's okay. <laughs> There's only one that's good. Ain't you. <laughs> Ain't me. That, that, that'll make you. Yeah, I said, I got more nods on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, well, I'm pretty good. You? Yep, nope, you're God. <laughs> the guy asked him, the rich young ruler is who this is, the rich young ruler asked him back, he said, which ones? <laughs> this is totally human. Good master, I want to have life. Okay, great, here's how you have life. You got to understand that God is good and you got to keep his commandments and then life will flow. Uh, so keep his commandments, you say, huh? Yep, that's what I said. Uh, can you narrow it down like which ones? <laughs> this is so us. Can you give me a checklist and can you make it short? <laughs> like three? Three points in a poem? Which ones? <laughs> and Jesus, God bless him, gives him a short one. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I wanna hone in on do not murder. The Bible has differing words for killing and murdering, just like we do in English. It has differing words in Hebrew and in Greek. And at times, they're both used to communicate God's desire for us to not do either one. And I say that because some people have, there are denominations, there are Christian traditions that literally say that any kind of killing at any time under any circumstance is wrong because the Bible says so. And uh, yeah, but. That's not good hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is bringing the entire scripture into harmony. If you just take one verse and you make your whole life based upon that one verse, you're going to get in a ditch. So hermeneutics says that there are times that God says don't kill, and there's also times that God says don't murder. Well, which one is it? The answer is yes. There is a, there's killing that's wrong, but there's also killing that's right. God commanded his people to kill. If you're a murderer, we murder you back. It's one of my favorite things about moving to Texas. I was in, standing in one of my restaurants one day and there was some you know, 192 year old coffee drinker sitting there with a cigarette in his mouth. And he said, uh, he said something about, uh, we had to put the signs on our doors that said no handguns or whatever. And he sat there and he said, yeah, I got my gun. I said, bro. Don't do this to me today. Like, I, just shut up. Like, I don't care. And he's like, yep, one of the good things about Texas around here, Texas, we believe you kill someone, we kill you back. And I, I'd walked away because do not engage. And I walked away and I'm like, you know, that's not half bad logic. If we had a society that understood if you kill someone, they kill you back, it might be less killing. Less killing's better. And there are times that it's God-ordained to kill. God told them if they did certain things, you stoned them to death. Capital punishment is something God came up with. Just 
for all the people that struggle with that. He's the one that said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Life for a life. God said that. So there are appropriate times to kill. And then there's unappropriate times. Specifically, without any argument from anyone, hopefully you understand the shedding of innocent blood is never, ever okay. God hates it. Of all the innocent blood that there could ever possibly be, the life of the unborn is the most innocent. Every aborted baby is murdered for the sin of being inconvenient. Which illustrates we have a death culture. I cannot imagine that you could show up to someone 500 years ago and say, hey, I want to cut open your wife's stomach and slice, your, and slice her baby up because you guys just aren't financially in the right place right now to have a baby. If you walk away from that conversation with your teeth intact, it would be a shock. 500 years ago, life was sacred. Life was precious. All life was precious. You don't walk up to a pregnant woman. I just did this last night. I got to be careful about that. Sometimes you just walk up to, I walk up to pregnant. I'm like, you're so beautiful. And you're always like, oh, I'm married. She's okay with it. It's getting worse. <laughs> Thank God this gal knew me and she knew what I was insinuating. And I said, you're, you're so beautiful. Because the, the, a woman's body doing the God thing. Amen. Like you can see it doing a God thing. They are literally creating life. That is so beautiful. So beautiful. You don't walk up to a pregnant woman and say, how's the fetus? How's the clump of cells? You say, how's the baby? Why? Because it's a baby. Even people out there that are borderline woke, they're not going to walk up to a friend of theirs, somebody that they love or somebody that they have value for, they're not going to walk up to a pregnant friend of theirs and say, how's the clump of non-valuable cells that are in your gut? No, they know better. The language that the culture has adopted, the impersonal death culture, only, you can only get away with that by talking generally, generically, and to no one. Because one-on-one, -on -one, human to human, life to life, you're not gonna get away with. How's the clump of cells? Here's some of the reasons, some of the reasons that we've developed such a terrible death culture. One, the medicalization of death. In the past, death was a more common occurrence in everyday life, 
people were more likely to die at home, surrounded by family and friends. We, we, we knew what was going on. Today, death is often seen as a medical event and people are more likely to die in hospitals and other healthcare settings away from people, lonely, drugged out, doped out. And so we have, we have created uh, a mindset that because medicine is good and medicine is what killing people, then it obviously death is not as bad as it once was. This has led to the depersonalization of death and it can make it more difficult for people to cope with lost. Another reason is the secularization of death. In the past, death was often seen as a religious event. We, we all know this. You, don't desecrate, desecrate graves, you don't, why is all that? Because there was something that was sacred, there was something holy about passing from this life to the next, and everybody, nearly everywhere, in nearly every era of time, thought that there was a next. Only as of late is it, has it been adopted on a great scale that there isn't a next, that this is it. This is the totality of the human experience is this. Man, what a terrible way to live. That's why all the people that believe that are angry. They have terrible attitudes. They're some of the most vile people because they think this is as good as it gets. <laughs> Poor suckers. In the past, death was a more public event. People would gather to mourn the dead and there would be a lot of social support for the bereaved. Today, death is more likely to be a private event. People may choose to have a small private funeral or they may not even have a funeral at all. This can make it more difficult for people to grieve and to find support. You get isolated in death. If you're picking up on some of these things, you're gonna get a pretty micro view of what happened over the last three years. They took a macro reality, and they compressed it into three years. I've seen pictures. I've cried, I'll be honest with you. Dang it. But I have cried at the pictures of the two 80-year-old people who are locked away from each other. One's on one side of a brick wall, looking through a window, watching this 80-year-old man, watching his 80-year-old wife who'd been married for 60 years die, and he can't touch her, he can't hug her, he can't be with her because COVID. Sick. It's a culture of death. Man, I cannot believe that people were so willing, were so fearful, and emasculated and impotent. <sighs> this can make death seem more meaningless and isolating. Well, Fido passed away last night. We really loved old Fido. He was a good dog. And he's dead. Should we go get another one? Yay, kids. Let's go get just another one. You know, Grandma passed away last night. Yeah, she was kind of old. You want to get another one? Yep, we can just drop those things down at the old folks' home. 
Got lots of them. The privatization of death. The next thing, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to make this very long because I'm already running out of time, but the glorification of death, and I honestly think this is probably one of the biggest ones. One of the most obvious way that death is glorified in today's culture is through violent media. People will line up to watch the most bloody, goriest, the more, the more gory they can make it, the more bloody they can make it, the more sickening they can make it, they literally try to make people puke. They try to make people, they, this is a goal that they have. And, and there's people in this room, you pay for it. Get it piped right on into your heart. You give good money to get it put in your heart so you can be desensitized about it. Movies, TV shows, video games. Shh, don't talk about video games. There's people in here that do it. I know. And other forms of entertainment. Hey, honey, come on over. Let's be entertained. Let's watch about 100 people get chopped to death by the horror movie guy. Okay, that sounds fun. Let's do it together. Let's hold hands and kiss while it happens. Do you see how sick this is? Yes. This can lead, uh, just so you know, on a sidebar, this conversation goes about sexualization too. This is why you got Disney characters doing stuff on cartoons that wouldn't have been allowed on TV 50 years ago. Now it's in cartoons. It's happening in your kids' iPads. And some of you don't even know it. This can lead to desensitization, desensitization to violence, and it can also make death seem more exciting and appealing than it really is. You know, there are, there are young ladies that are excited about doing suicide so much so that they record them and they put them on social media because it's popular. It's popular to hurt and kill yourself. Popular. <laughs> and I know everybody in here, you're super Christian and you're all shaking your heads. I'm telling you <laughs> that the world's bigger than beloved Purple Church. This is what's going on out there and we're not engaging it because this is what we do. When we see the girl that's, that's cutting herself because it's popular and it's, and it's a way that they deal with the stuff. We just, we like, what's going on here? Uh, I'm a cutter, I got stuff in the. That's just terrible. Sue, anyway. What does she go away with? I guess the Christians hate me more. My popular friends like me. The more I cut myself, the more they're excited about it. And the Christians shake their head at me. Guess I'll go with these people over here. At least they accept me. This is one of the reasons that we're losing the abortion debate is because the folks that have had abortions and the men that have encouraged women to have abortions, they are so racked with shame and guilt and condemnation because of the Christians that the very place where they could find healing 
is the, play, the last place that they'll ever go because they're going to get the murderer. Yeah, it's quiet here in beloved church. The next aspect of the glorification of death is the increasing popularity of death-related subcultures. Anybody ever heard of goth? There's a ton of subcultures. Anybody ever heard of LGBTQ plus 17? It, it's a subculture, and they glorify this stuff. The new pride flag, I don't know if you know this, but they have a new pride flag this year. And it has like a little diamond that goes uh, across from the, if you're looking at it from the left to the right, there's some diamonds and it's got, I think, four colors, which is black, which represents black people, brown, which represents brown people. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and then it's got blue, baby blue, which represents little baby boys. Do the math. They have it on their flag that they want to do stuff. They have it on a flag that they want to do that stuff to baby boys. And then the last one is pink. Because they want to do it. It's literally in your face. And God forbid you say a word about the fact that they're trying to sexualize your children. You homophobe, you hater. All we want to do is just have an alternative lifestyle. You Christians got to come in here thumping your Bible. Yeah, because you want. These subcultures, if you, can, if you can embrace the idea of killing a baby 90 seconds before it's born, you can embrace the idea of doing other things to a two-year-old that you would have never embraced the idea of doing prior to that. We, we don't think rationally and put these things together. Well, you know, Uncle... I was going to say Uncle Betty. Uncle, no, let, let me keep this right. Uncle Frank. Okay, one day, Frank, if anybody named Frank ever comes to this church, you make sure you all warn me. <laughs> Uncle Frank uh, just, just wants to live an alternative lifestyle. He just wants to do stuff in his bedroom. Until... Elton John just came out and said that he will never do another concert in the United States because of our anti-grooming laws. Yep. Let me repeat that. Sir Elton John, who's been knighted by the queen, the highest honor you can have in English culture. Sir Elton John will never do another concert in America because of our anti-grooming laws. Here's what he just said. He said the quiet part out loud. He said, guess what I like to have happen in my bedroom? And I'm not coming to your country because you're not going to let me. And everybody's okay with this. 
He's embraced by... Look at Elton John, being, being courageous. He must be a hero. He's doing the hard thing. These death subcultures, it's not just... <clears throat> Man, I've got to get moving. But it's not just... We're, it's somebody that just wants to be sexually liberated or it's just somebody that really loves video games. Or just, I just like to watch TV and unwind. These subcultures that are happening are literally tearing away the fabric of humanity so that they can usher in new and unique ways to get death, to be normalized so that they can destroy the society as a whole. And we just sit here like, I just can't believe they just made that movie just like that. It's just a, such a terrible movie. You want to go see it, honey? These subcultures often celebrate death and dying. They may even encourage their members to engage in risky or dangerous behavior. Think about it. This can lead to a distorted view of death. <clears throat> and it can also make it more likely that people will take unnecessary risks. I'm just going to say monkeypox. The LGBTQ pride movement is a culture of dehumanization that leads to death. If you can use each other physically to do things that you were never created to do, it's a gateway drug to be able to do other things. <clears throat> You've heard me say this before, but no, no person <clears throat> ever decided, like, you're not going to be a healthy, married, you know, father of two, loving wife, go to church, love God, and wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I just, I think I want to watch a lot of kitty porn. It, it doesn't happen. It does not happen. So they're arresting people by the tens of thousands right now for child pornography and for child sex trafficking. Tens of thousands of people a year are being arrested for it. Imagine the numbers of children that are being abused by it. So how do you get tens of thousands of people to get to that level of debauchery? Well, first, you watch the R-rated movie that's got the scene in it that you really like, but you don't want your wife to know you really like it, but you really like it. And then you want the movie that's got two of those scenes. And then you want, you know, maybe you'll, you like the, the underwear ads. And then you get the thing that shows up on your phone. I don't know how that got there, honey. I didn't put it there. You know, Google knows what you like. I hate to say it, but it does. And if that stuff's showing up on your device, you might want to throw a penalty flag on yourself. It don't show up on my device. That leads to full-blown, get the account. You can, get, you can go to Pornhub right now and get a free account. They're still giving it away for free because they, they still are hunting people from the pandemic. They gave it away for free in the pandemic. Hey, you're in a pandemic. Here's free porn. And their numbers skyrocketed. That meant a bunch of guys wanted porn, but they didn't want to pay for it. 
Talk about the lowest level of sickness. You want to look, but you won't give up your 10 bucks. Then you go into hardcore porn, then you go into crazy porn, and eventually it leads to. It might take a year or two or five, but that's how you get to that level of debauchery. So now use this same allegory towards whatever's going on in your life. Well, it's, you know, it's, I'm not really lying. I'm just kind of misrepresenting. The Bible says don't bear false witness. It doesn't say don't lie. Don't bear false witness. You know how often people bear false, it's not a lie, I didn't lie. Yeah, you did. Jesus said looking at another woman with lust in your heart is the same as adultery. Having hatred towards people. You know, that's common in the church. <laughs> there are people, <laughs> there are Christians, good Christians that I know, that I could say a name and they'll wince. They don't even know it. They don't even know they got so much going on on the inside of them that when I said that name and they winced, they didn't even know they winced. I'm like, that's hatred. You hate that person. How many people have, have terrible opinions of your parents, your past, your ex-spouse? You're literally hating and you're making it okay because that person deserves it. Man, you know, you deserve for God to hate you, and what did he do instead? Anybody remember this thing here? What did God do when you deserved hatred? The changing views on death in modern society also contribute to the glorification of death. In the past, death was often seen as a taboo subject. However, death is more likely to be seen as a natural part of life today. This can lead to a more open and accepting attitude towards death, but it can also lead to a more cavalier attitude towards it as well. Familiarity breeds contempt. In our culture today, we have this opinion that the value of some people is greater than the value of some other people. This is the elitism that we see in our culture. You, regular old, uh, if you're a white, male, heterosexual Christian, you have the value of a dead sin skin cell that's on the floor. That's, that's about the max of it. That, that's about what you're worth. But if you're a brown, black, homosexual, uh, wh wh I mean, whatever, if you, the more minorities you can put on top of your thing, the more valuable you are. And this comes from the belief system that there really is like a hierarchy of the value of a person. This can only be done. Abortion can only be done if you can devalue the person. Because if that person has the same value as any other person, then this could never be done. That means that we have to have a culture that embraces different levels of value for different levels of people. And so the people that are gonna argue for this, this is where they're gonna go. So here's one of the ways you can have a conversation with them. You say, let's pretend a tornado blew through Freeport. And right on this side of the street, 
was a school for the most gifted, intelligent, uh, engineering, you know, like the most advanced kids in the whole region. It's, it's like a school that people send their kids from thousands of miles, the best kids in the whole world. Right across the street from it is a school for uh, the mentally retarded, for, uh, for uh, people that have disabilities, mental disabilities, physical disabilities. So right over here, you've got a bunch of people that society would tolerate. And over here, these are a bunch of people that humanity would celebrate, America would celebrate. And a tornado goes right down the middle of this road and destroys the church or the school with all the gifted kids. But a hundred of these gifted kids survive, but the only way they're gonna continue to survive is if they get organ donations. And so all of Freeport gets together and they make a vote, let's just go ahead and kill the remainder of these kids over here, take their organs and put them in these kids because obviously these kids are better. You're probably not gonna have a conversation like that that anybody would agree. Unless it comes to abortion. We can kill those kids because they have less value. They're born in poverty. They're born to underprivileged people. They're, they're inconvenient. They were out of time. I've got a career. I ain't got time for raising a child. I want to give you, this is your scholarly term for the day. The only, the only one I hope to use. Syllogism. So I want you to say it because I want you to know it. So say syllogism. What a syllogism is, is it's a formal argument. That's the, the scholarly term for a formal argument. And the way a syllogism works is that you have a major premise, a minor premise, and then a conclusion. Let me give you an example, it'll make more sense. Major premise, all mammals are warm-blooded. Minor premise, dogs are mammals. Conclusion, therefore, all dogs are mammals. Major premise, minor premise, conclusion. Let me give you another one. Major premise, a square is not a circle. Minor premise, this shape is a square. Conclusion, therefore, this shape is not a circle. Syllogism. This is an intelligent way to formulate an argument that doesn't necessarily mean you got to quote your verse. Because let me tell you this, most people in the abortion conversation, when they get into it with Christians, they use Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says that I was, I was uh, uniquely knit together in my mother's womb. I was wonderfully created, wonderfully and beautifully created. And so we look at that and we're like, see, God says he knit us together in our mother's womb. We were wonderfully and beautifully created. And we take it very literal. We say, see, this is why you can't kill a baby. And that what most people don't know is I think it's four verses later. It says, yeah, I'm going to meet God at the bottom of the depths of the sea and commune with him. And so any of your professors out there in the secular universities, the student says, well, the Bible says that I was wonderfully and beautifully knit together in my mother's womb. He says, you know, four verses later, it says that you're going to commune with God on the bottom of the sea. So is that literal? Because if that's literal, you're weird. 
If it's literal, you're going to meet God at the bottom of the sea and have tea and crumpets with him, then that, I'll accept your literal argument. But you and I both know you're not meeting God at the bottom of the ocean to have a dinner with him. So your whole premise is based on a verse taken literal when four verses later you can't take it literal. This is why we need to know what we're talking about when we have conversations with intelligent people. So the pro-life syllogism is, major premise, it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent person. Almost, almost anybody, even an abortion, a pro-abortion person would agree with your major premise. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Minor premise, an unborn baby is an innocent human being. Conclusion, therefore, it is wrong to kill an innocent, unborn child. Now, they're going to argue with you. Their next argument is going to be say, well, the unborn is not human. So here's where I'm going to go fast, and I, there's notes. J.B. Pritzker, who we all honor, <laughs> said, we need to celebrate reproductive freedom. Reproductive freedom is good for everyone. True. I agree. You should have freedom in your reproductive aspects of your life with your spouse making your family. So what they've done is they have changed the language of reproduction freedom into killing a child. You see how they do it? You can, if you're a Christian and someone says, do you believe in reproduction freedom, reproductive freedom? Well, no. So you can't go freely reproduce with your spouse? Well, yeah, I can there. Do you see how they get you? Do, you? do you, as a Christian, believe in reproduction freedom? Yes, I do. Oh, you do? You believe in abortion? Oh, God, no. That's not reproductive freedom. That's murder. It's an innocent life. J.B. Prisker said that Illinois is going to be the abortion destination of the nation. A Colorado legislator said, and this isn't on the notes because I didn't finish. I was typing as fast as I could. I've been very busy the last few days. Amen. I preached twice yesterday, and so I've been up as early as I can and went to bed as late as I can to get everything done. A Colorado legislator said uh, they coined a new term that was called um, abortion vacation destinations. That they want you to go to Colorado on vacation and while you're there, they literally have ads that say, come ski the Aspens on your way out, get an abortion. It, it, this is a thing now. And people are like, oh, okay, yeah, well, well okay. Biden said our, ours, America, ours should be a culture that advances health care for women. Yep. Advance health care for women and men while you're at it. Let's just go ahead and let everybody have better health care. I'm, I'm, I'm up thumb. Hey, you know, let's advance health care for babies. Unborn or born. 
I agree with Joe Biden. That is on the record. <laughs> I just don't agree with what he's insinuating. He's trying to change the language. This is how they win. They get you into their language. Don't get into their language. You keep the language the way it was intended to be used. The assumption is that the unborn are not human, therefore they can advance this whole conversation by using the terms healthcare. A distinct living and whole member of the human family, even though it's undeveloped, is what we would call the baby in the womb. And if you don't believe that, you know, Right now, while you've been sitting there, you have shed skin cells. Each one of those skin cells that you have shed has every single part of your DNA on it. If we picked up one of those skin cells, we could tell everything about your DNA, your, your internal makeup based upon one of those dead skin cells. So is everybody in here right now guilty of murder? No, yes. I've lost them. <laughs> no. It, the skin cell died. It fell off you. Even if you pinch yourself and actually make extra skin cells die, you're not, you're not guilty before God. God's going to say, oh. Why? Because that skin cell is not you. You are not the cell. Follow me. The... The child in the womb of a mother that is one second old that they call cells, we call a human. Well, it's just cells. Well, so are the skin cells that just fell off your hand. Those skin cells are not the person. They are from the person. The person is the person that has cells. Some of you, the, the best way to illustrate this, and I stole this illustration from another guy, I'll admit it. So there used to be, if you're over, if you're under 40, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say. But if you're over 40, you're going to remember a time when the way that we took pictures was with this thing called a camera. We had cameras. I know none, none of the rest of you know what that is. So this camera was about yay big, and you would point it at things, and you would hit a button, and it would open a lens and it would expose whatever it was pointed at and that exposure would hit something that was called film, F-I-L-M. You can Google it later. And this film would then capture this image and it would be put on there, imprinted on this film. And then when, after you did this 36 times, you would open the back of your camera, hopefully in a dark place, and you would take this little roll and you would put it in this tube that was impossible to ever get the lid on right. And you'd put duct tape on it, and then you would take it to the parking lot of some big place that had a photo, an instant insta photo, I think is what they used to be called. And you'd drop off this little piece of plastic in this infant instant photo, and it was called instant because you got it back in about three weeks. <laughs> and then you'd get your pictures, pictures, on a piece of paper. I know, not on a screen where you could, you had to swipe them as actual pieces of paper. And on these pieces of paper, the ones that weren't overexposed, which was usually half of them, or you had a finger in front of it, like, whose fat finger? That was steak. <laughs> and you would find a picture and it would have value. So 
Eventually, what happened was they came out with this thing called a Polaroid. Woo! Changed the world. You pointed this camera at something, you hit a button, and film popped out the bottom, but it wasn't just film, it was picture and film. I think it's, I think it's, oh, it's the wall. So how I want to illustrate this is let's say we're in the jungles of Africa and you're ahead of me and you got a Polaroid and you see a white jaguar, an albino white jaguar that jumps across the trail in front of us and you just so happen to have your Polaroid and you snap and you know National Geographic is gonna pay you $200 million for a picture of an in-flight albino jaguar in the depths of Africa. And so this thing pops out the bottom. <laughs> and I walk up behind you and I grab that picture out of your hand and I tear it up. Why was that wrong? No, it wasn't. It was undeveloped. It was a not a developed picture. There was nothing on there. It was a piece of gray Polaroid. Because the image was there, it just wasn't developed. One second after conception, a child has the image. It's just undeveloped. This is called the science of embryology. Look it up in your free time. You know, you've heard people say, if you don't like an abortion, don't have one. This statement insinuates that it's a preference of what we like or we don't like. Doesn't matter what I like. It's supposed to be about right and wrong. Why are we changing it into what you like or you dislike? They're winning the argument if you engage in that aspect of it. It's not, it doesn't matter what I like. I don't like salad and I have to eat it. I don't like to work out and I do it every day. It doesn't matter what I like. It's what's right or what's wrong. It's morality. And this, we've lost morality in our society. So it's turned in morality, like is the new morality. If you like it, you can do it. It's not about like, it's right or wrong. It's not a preference statement, it's a moral obligation. And we need to know what this really is. And so what I'm about to do is I'm gonna play a 55 second video. And I really don't want the young people to see it. It is graphic. It's as, I believe that it is appropriate for us all to see, otherwise I wouldn't show it, but I don't want these images to be etched in the wrong person's mind. So if you have a young person in here and you don't think that they're prepared to watch something like this, then you need to make the call. But I'm gonna play this because there are something that images can produce in you that all of my words will never produce. 
They are trying to make it laws in some of these pro-abortion states that the mom has to see the ultrasound of her baby. There's a reason for that because they, when a mother sees that it's a baby, it's not some tumor cell. It says 55 seconds, you do not have to look. I'm not forcing this on anybody. Don't meet me at the Conanee and get mad at me because you've seen the video and it did stuff to you. So if you're not ready, don't look. 55 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. What determines value? Did those children have value? Is it your intelligence that determines your value? Because that's an argument they'll use. They're unintelligent, they're babies. So then what level of intelligence gives me value? At what level of stupidity can you kill me? How about physiology? Well, they're tiny. So small people have no value? Some aspect of your physiology makes it so you don't have value? What if you lose a limb? What if you're disfigured? Do you immediately lose value? We can kill you? There's an atheist named Peter Singer that said, self-awareness is what creates value. What is that? What is self-awareness? What if I'm asleep? What if I'm in a coma? What if I'm in a wreck and I'm knocked unconscious and I'm unaware, Do it, is it right to kill me? What is self-awareness? A certain level? What if somebody reaches it at five so then you can kill them at four and a half years old? How about maturity? That Polaroid picture wasn't quite mature. Why did it have value? Is there a certain level of immaturity that we can kill people and then a certain level that we can't? How about ability? Or in that case, disability. If you have certain abilities that you can perform, if you have a function for society, if you have a purpose for society, well, then you can live. But if you don't, if you're inconvenient, How about environment? Well, in, it's, in, it's in a mother, so it's her body. I'm in beloved church. Does that make me a pew or a chair? Location does not determine 
Your address does not determine value. You can live in a mud hut and be a person. How about lineage? What if you come from a really good lineage? What if you've got a great pedigree? Do you have more value than me? Because I'm a mutt. I literally don't even have a clue what runs through these veins. So you're more valuable than me? Just so you know, not that long ago, 1860s, we had these conversations. Abraham Lincoln, we're in the land of Lincoln. Let me quote Abraham Lincoln. You say man A is white and man B is dark. Oh, then it is skin color that matters in having the right to enslave the dark-skinned man. Take care, by that rule, you're a slave to the first person you meet with skin fairer than your own. You say it's, or say, or you say it's not intellect, or I'm sorry. Take care by that rule, you're a slave to the first person you meet with skin fairer than your own. You say it's not skin color, it's a matter of intelligence. The white man, you wrongly allege, has superior intellect to the dark man. Take care. Yet again, by that rule, you're a slave to the first person you meet with superior intellect to yours. Or you say it's not intellect, it's not skin color, it's a matter of interest. The white man has it in his interest to enslave the dark man. Take care. Yet again, by that rule, you're a slave to the first person that can make it his interest to enslave you. You say that this is unvaluable, uh, has no value, that the baby has no value. Take care. By your own admission, as soon as someone can determine that you have no value, they have a right to terminate your life. The reason we have value is because God gave us the value. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. There's your value. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, every time a human is destroyed, you're not destroying a human, you're destroying a human that has God's image. You're actually assaulting God. That's why God is just to do to you what needs to be done because it was his image. This is also, also why God was just in the flood. It was his image. It was his image. He had the right to recall his image. How is it possible that two human parents can create offspring that are not human, but then eventually becomes human? Can two dogs make a duck? 
That means that what is formed when two humans consummate is human. Undeveloped, fully human. So what is our duty? This is the end. Defend life. All life. It's unpopular. Do we do the popular things here, heroes? It's hard. Do we do the hard things here, heroes? It is against selfishness. Do we only do the selfish things here, heroes? It's contrary to our emotionally driven culture. Do we go by the four-letter word of feel here, heroes? Another thing you can do, vote. Well, I don't like to vote. None of these people are perfect candidates, really. You vote so that you can save lives. And if your imperfect candidate is going to advance saving lives, vote. Move the goalposts with your votes. I get it. I know I'm friends with politicians, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. And I know that they do good things and they do bad things. And the ones that I support, mostly it's because I have a generally, I'm a one-issue kind of guy. Are you going to try to protect life? Are you going to try to keep freedoms that we need to advance the gospel because the gospel is what saves lives? If you're not going to do those two things, you don't get Steve Castle on your side. You're going to do those things, I'll fight for you. Vote. There are people that are trying to kill babies and a lot of Christians just stay at home because they're like, I don't like either candidate. Is one candidate going to save some babies? Saving some babies is better than saving no babies. Teach and value morality. Our society went from, when I was a kid in school, if it says, if it feels good, do it. We had t-shirts. If it feels good, do it. Now we've got to, you do you. Doesn't even matter if it feels good anymore. You just do whatever you want to do. You do you. That is relativism in morality. Relativism is you decide on your own moralities, I'll decide on my own, and we'll just coexist. I'll get a little bumper sticker, and we'll coexist with all of our different religions, and that's how it'll work. Here's what relativism sounds like. My brother is an only child. Now we know who's awake. My brother is an only child. Relativism. How about this one? Don't judge me. They just judged you for judging them. These are statements that we call self-refuting. It's verbal suicide. This is how our world are. Don't force your morals on me while you're forcing your morals on me. I have to accept what you're doing and march in your parade, otherwise you're going to come picket my church and, and attack my social media, right? Right! So I should be inclusive. Yes. How about you? Shut up. Okay. Okay. 
At Beloved Church, guess what we do? We call fat, fat. In other words, we call sin, sin. If it's sin, it's sin. It don't mean we hate a, a person who sins. We don't hate a person who's fat. Sometimes people that are fat are easier to love because you just get on in there and kind of just fall into them. You're warm. It's not a moral thing. It, you, I, whew, look at the clock. But if we, can't call, if we can't call sin, sin, if we don't know what is sin, then how are we ever going to affect the morality of our culture? This is why we lose it. Because we go home and we do our own thing and we become hypocrites and then we tell everybody else to not do what we do. How many parents do this? Don't do as I do, Junior. Pass the beer. You shouldn't drink. Unconfessed sin has the power to enslave. Repentance has the power to cleanse. If we call sin, sin, and a person understands that they're in sin, then they can come and find the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the redemption from God that their hearts desire. If we don't call it sin, they stay in the same, they stay in the condemnation, and they stay in the slavery of the failure. Yeah. We've got to tell people what's wrong and what's right. <clears throat> Have intelligent and rational arguments. Syllogism, say it again, syllogism. <laughs> Wisdom, knowledge, apologetics, learn these things. When you speak intelligently, people will actually listen to you. If you walk up to someone and you speak in tongues, we're really impressed, but you're really not going to persuade anybody to change. Value life, counter the death culture, make life precious again. The blood of Jesus made you precious. Go give people that same redemption. Do not be a respecter of persons. Do not value, devalue, or increase value on people based upon something that is not God-ordained. Even at Beloved Church, we got some clicks. We had to fuss at some of the kids at family camp because they wanted to click up. You know what a click is? These people have more value to me than you do. If you got a click in here, you better break that sucker up. Because if I break it up, you might not survive the break. Resensitize ourselves to humanity. You've heard me say this before. Okay, and I go for a walk nearly every day. I go for a walk probably every day. And when I walk, I wave. If a car passes me and I'm paying attention, I wave. If I see someone on a porch, I wave. If I see somebody walking, I wave. My return wave percentage right now is around 30%. That means 70% of people look at me while I wave at them and they literally choose to not return a wave. The level of dehumanization that we have gotten to in society where you can't even return away from a safe six foot away distance tells us how little value for other humans our culture has. And it's crept into the church. Many of those people I wave at call themselves Christians. And they can't wave. 
we should return Christianity to at least human level before we actually even get to Christ level. Be human and then be Christ. Love is expressed value. When you don't love, you are telling a person they have no value. When you do love, you are expressing to that person that they have value. This is why Jesus told us to love. Because it's the easiest way for us to express value to each other. Not say I love you, show I love you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.